0: Where I found my passion is marrying this together and really being able to understand people, help them, and then use all the technical capabilities to align all the resources to the life that they want to live. And if they can help, if we can help them get a little bit more out of life, then I mean that just gives you, you know, that good, warm, fuzzy, uh, and keeps bringing you back with a smile every day.
1: Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to Retire Smarter. Well, welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area. You can find the team online at truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, good to be with you this week. How are you, my friend?
0: Walter, it is, uh, it's always my pleasure. We're good. We're um just back from our first successful camp, family camping trip. So um, I, by no means, Very um, nice am, like yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was, um, my wife has been kind of prodding for a while to kind of do a trailer thing and, or RV of some sort. And I just perceive that as complexity and work. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been able to hold her off for a while, but uh, we have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old and uh, almost eight-year-old. So I think we're Kind of in that sweet spot and, uh, we bit the bullet. Um, we were going through the whole introduction to the the trailer and, um, I just remember having this feeling of being overwhelmed and just thinking like, man, we didn't sign on the dotted line yet. We can just beat the heck out of here. <laughs> <And> go, <home. laughs> go to and, a hotel uh,
1: or something, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, RV is, it's not, it's not really, not really cheap. It's not like we did anything extravagant, but nonetheless, um, I mean, it, I think it it, net net it cost more money than just getting in the car and doing a hotel. But um, nonetheless, we, we, we went through it. As, as I like to say, I made my wife's dream come true yet again. And um, we, we had a great time. It was, it was more enjoyable than I was expecting. You know, I certainly thought we were going to get a lot of good family memories out of it. And, and we certainly started down that path. The girls were crying because they didn't want to leave the campground. They were having so much fun. Pretty good indication that it was awesome. And um, I did pretty – I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit, but no accidents. You know, you got to learn all these tanks and deal with sewage and (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> all this, drive this thing, which is, you know, just the feed in itself and back it up. And was, um, was this
1: a Class A, like one of the big, big man? No, 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 no Or no. was it a Class C, like what? Travel trailer. or Something so. like that? Oh, we travel just, trailer. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. We just did a trailer. We got the hitch, got the sway bars. Okay. So, you know, I think it's, I haven't driven like a Class A or Class C or what have you, but I, I presume that those are easier to drive than these trailers uh, just because it's all one kind of, Self-contained unit, and um,
1: at least going backwards is much much easier when it's all one piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would imagine going forward too. I mean, you don't have to deal with the sway uh, so much, yeah. and just some of the the other forces. But um, nonetheless, I mean, it, it went pretty well. I feel you know, I went from a place of fear. <laughs> I won't say I'm confident now, but my confidence is building. And uh, we we have something planned uh, every weekend for the next several weeks. So we're we're going to be making those family memories, and I'm doing my best Clark Griswold impersonation.
1: It sounds like in terms of uh, Maslow's hierarchy, you made it at least to the psychological needs. You you got that feeling of accomplishment from the excursion. So well done.
0: What a great segue into today's episode. Man, I knew I I I have you on the show for a reason. Kudos to you.
1: To be your foil and to sometimes have a clever segue—that's <laughs> that's the purpose here. Yes. Uh, no, I'm I'm interested in today's topic. What do, in the world does Maslow's hierarchy have to do with financial and retirement planning and the like? Um, I'm I'm curious to see where you take this one today.
0: Sure. So I guess I'll back up uh, for a moment. So. We all, I've always, I don't know if I've always called it, and I certainly didn't invent the term, but I like to use the phrase financial life planning. So it's not just about the money. You know, money's a tool. Money, I think, used properly, um, should be aligned to support the, the ideal life that you want. Said another way, maybe kind of find it first and then fund it. You know, find what you want to do, what you want to be, what you want to become, and then figure out how to fund it in a way. And that's only part of this story. But if you, I I think we can all think of people that that we know, whether we knew them firsthand or whether it's even, you know, uh, a figure of of some sort, whether a TV character or something of the like, where people maybe, at least on surface, appeared to prioritize money over life and, and maybe were unfulfilled to varying degrees. But, you know, this is part of what we do in just getting to know people, getting to know our clients. You know, talking with a new client about you know what's important to them, what's important to them about money, where do they want to take their life to, and then after we understand the big picture of who they are, where they are, and where they want to go, more of those kind of qualitative, softer side, then we can start getting into the financial aspect and and making sure that we're making smart decisions with their overall retirement planning, with their investments, with their taxes, and making sure all of that is well aligned in concert with the life that they want to live and. And make sure that they can sustain it over time. So that's the starting point. I know a lot of the things that we'll talk about, you know, on the podcast or people think about financial advisors talking about is all more of the strategies and tactics around money, around investments, around taxes. But, uh, you know, and you can start there. And candidly, that's what drew me to the profession early on. I mean, I was really good at math and um, just had an interest, you know pulling me into this way but really what's kept me here where i found my passion is marrying this together and really being able to understand people help them and then use all the technical capabilities to align all the resources to the life that they want to live and if they can help if we if we can help them get a little bit more out of life then i mean that just gives you you know that good warm fuzzy uh, and, and keeps bringing you back with a smile every day when i say maslow's hierarchy of needs or maslow meets retirement you know, I think back to when I was in undergrad school, and um, I had this—I uh, had—I <laughs> had many majors uh, in undergrad college. It took me a while to to find myself, as they say. But um, my undergrad degree was uh, in education, and I was uh, able to teach physics and earth and space science. And anybody that goes through a college of education has to take some foundational courses. And one of the foundational courses I had to take was on just theory of education and and really it was more of a actually i think it was a foundations of education was the name of it um but it was really more of a philosophy class at least that's how this professor taught it and um you know he he just made a really big impact on my life and uh the the content of what he taught us just at that point in my life it really resonated with me and really sparked an interest for me to learn more and 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 really learn more about myself and become a better person as well. And part of that was, you know, going through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And uh, Abraham Maslow, I'm sure everybody's at least somewhat heard of him at some point in time. Maslow was really an American psychologist that, uh, at least as I understood it, being taught by Dr. Thibodeau um, at the time, Really studied healthy brain people. He studied people like Albert Einstein, Frederick Douglass, Eleanor Roosevelt, where a lot of his, um, well-known predecessors were a little bit different. I mean, everybody's heard of Sigmund Freud. You know, he more so studied mentally ill people, neurotic people. Uh, B.F. Skinner, you know, more of a kind of a stimulus response sort of guy studied rats and Maslow was, was different in, in who he was studying. And he came up with this uh, hierarchy of needs and, and just envision a pyramid. If you haven't seen this before, maybe you have, but it's somewhere in your brain that you're just trying to recall it right now and it may be difficult, but um, just imagine a pyramid and at the base of the pyramid, the foundation of the pyramid, you have these different levels um, and it starts out with your physiological needs. Things like breathing, pretty important, food, water, sleep. All those sorts of things, uh, really form the basis of our physiological being and are obviously, very obviously quite important. As you move up the pyramid, the next level, uh, more so your safety needs, security, security of your body, uh, security of employment, of resources, of your family, of your health, of property, you know, a lot of different things there. And uh, you're starting to see some things related to work too. You have security of employment, of resources. Well, how do you get resources? Well, the predominant way we get it today in a modern economy is really trading our, our time for money in, in some way, you know, going to work, you know, having a business, things along those lines. So you start seeing work you know, really creep in here pretty early on at, at not the base of the pyramid, but close to it. Then the third level, moving up the pyramid, uh, Maslow called this love and belongingness, you know, friendship, family, sexual intimacy. And actually, I skipped over it, but, um, Maslow also had sex at the base of the pyramid of physiological. He was apparently quite a big proponent of sex, but. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and Dr. Thibodeau. Uh, just who I just in case fr- <laughs> you
1: missed it the first time, we'll throw it in there a second time.
0: So <laughs> and my professor from college, Dr. Thibodeau, I mean, he's from New York City. And it seems like everybody I meet from New York is just, it's like in the water there, just an awesome storyteller. And so, you know, he was this, you know, kind of short, but really uh, verbose and just a booming voice kind of guy. And there was probably about a 100 people in this auditorium. And, you know, he's just really kind of going into some of the, uh, the more sexual aspects of his work, which for young college kids with <laughs> a lot of hormones, I think he got everybody's attention. Um, so it, apparently it stuck with me. But with love and belongingness, again, friendship, people have a lot of friends from work. You, know, you get a lot of socialization from work. You spend a lot of time at work. It's just natural. So it kind of depends on the type of work that you do. Um, you know, sometimes people Maybe it's more isolation or what have you. I mean, today you have a lot more remote work being done, you know, post COVID um, maybe it's a little bit more difficult for a lot of people to stay engaged and and have those sorts of relationships. Maybe it's easier to maintain them, but to build them new over a zoom or teams video, maybe a little bit more challenging. I'll be curious to see how this plays out over time. But again, here too, you know, we're three rungs up on the pyramid and we're seeing work creep in here, friendship, family, sexual intimacy, some of the things that are there. Um, hopefully <laughs> the sexual intimacy part is is not happening at work and violating the HR uh, manual that, that we may have. But certainly the friendship is there. Uh, and then there's two more levels. So we've gone over the first three, physiological, safety, and then love and belongingness. And now we get up to your esteem needs. And so things along the lines that um, – Confidence, achievement, respect of others, respect by others, getting that at a boy or that at a girl for a job well done. Again, a lot of work showing up in the esteem needs category. And then as we move up to the top of the pyramid, uh, this is what Maslow called self actualization. And uh, there's a lot of things here, but it's really to become more of what you truly are and what you're capable of becoming. You know, things like you almost have your own morality. Um, you really follow your creativity. You know, whoever you are, you know, you're kind of creating it and defining it and becoming more and more of it. And the basic premise here with Maslow was as you move up the pyramid, you really can't move up the pyramid until the base and the prior levels are satisfied. You know, you're not going to be worrying about your self-esteem needs if <laughs> if you can't breathe, if you don't have food, if you don't have water. If you can't sleep, you know, all those are much more primary to us. And he'll talk about things, or at least I remember you know, my professor, you know, from many, many years ago telling like, well, hey, I mean, if some of these things are maybe out of sorts, maybe somebody's unemployed for a period of time and maybe they don't have money coming in. You know, it's not like the whole pyramid comes crumbling down. You can be out of whack for a while and maybe have a portion of your needs met at those lower levels before you move up. But you can't stay that way and remain that way forever. You know, the whole idea of the pyramid and just the engineering aspect of it, I mean, it's really built upon, you know, the next levels stacked upon the prior. Uh, So all of this, you know, this is just really about studying healthy brain people. And I think Maslow did a lot of his work back in the 60s. And I'm sure there's been innovations in psychology since then. But um, this seems it resonated with me it seems like it makes a lot of sense uh, and it i really think it plays a lot into retirement too because there's work that's involved with <laughs> really every aspect of this at least beyond the you know physiological base but the other four levels all have work in some fashion in there and just because when we retire and if we remove work from the equation it doesn't mean that these needs go away it just means that we have to find other ways to go ahead and meet those needs that we have so we can be a well-rounded, satisfied, you know, high-functioning, happy self, uh, having our needs met, having the hierarchy of needs in mind and making sure that we're being that person that we really want to be. So I think that's the, the critical thing um, just to think of. And there's different ways you can apply this. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about this, uh, one of the ways that this gap was bridged to me, I mean, I've known about Maslow since you know, college, but um, there's a gentleman by the name of Mitch Anthony that uh, wrote a book called The New Retirementality. I think he wrote it at probably 20 years ago now, but there's several editions and, and updates and it's still selling quite well. And we'll often give it out uh, to, to clients just as um, just more so like a thinking tool. To go ahead and mentally prepare for retirement and think about, you know, this hierarchy of needs and hierarchy of retirement needs, if you will, and just bridge that gap. When I think about this, just pragmatically and working with people, you know, I'll maybe use a couple of different stories to illustrate this. So I'll start off, uh, and I'll use my kind of normal names just to protect the innocent, so to say, but, um, I'll use John and Jane and, uh, I'll use them separately. It's, they were not husband and wife, but John was, think of more of an, an old school kind of guy, you know, think about maybe more like the leave at the beaver time in, in our history. You know, the guy goes to work, you know, his wife stays home and takes care of the kids and works important. And, you know, really kind of the primary thing to a large degree maybe that's not i didn't watch leave it to beaver but um maybe maybe that was not a good preface there but uh but think of that time (laughs) i haven't i
1: haven't watched leave it to beaver either so we're 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 making dangerous (laughs)
0: analysis yeah so anyway that kind of that prior time period not today i mean you say these things today and, and not like it's bad and i don't mean it in any you know negative way to to women or anything like that but just more that kind of traditional sort of you know, family unit, if you will. And so John, um, I mean, he went to work every morning. Um, he drove about a half an hour uh, to get to work uh, on the way there, probably about 45 minutes on the way back, just because there's more traffic, you know, worked at least eight hours, if not more, uh, every day and, um, you know, came home and you know, spent a little bit of time with his family, had some dinner and, and, and that was about it and, and back and, and did it again. And um, he worked all the way until he was uh, just before he turned seventy. And one of the reasons why I think he worked that long was, um, I mean, it was who he was. It was is really him. I mean, he didn't have, you know, a lot of things outside of work to go ahead and retire to. You know, work was such a primary focus for him that I, I think he would say he's now passed, uh, unfortunately. But I think he would say that. In hindsight he probably should have spent more time developing you know those relationships and meeting those love and belongingness needs uh not only for himself but for his family outside of work and just because he worked uh, or excuse me when he retired he had more time uh, doesn't mean that he could just pick up those relationships because they really weren't tended to uh, maybe as well as they should have been for for many many years Uh, so when john went ahead and retired Retirement was quite empty for him. You know, he was having all of these, you know, needs met, even though he's this traditional kind of male, you know, maybe somewhat uh, unemotional or I don't want to say insensitive, but you know, kind of that tough upper lip sort of guy. Um, he still had those needs. I mean, it, maybe he didn't show them as much, maybe kept them in, but he's still human. Um, he, I mean, he's a good guy, uh, but he just didn't didn't show them. He was kind of that more of that traditional kind of guy. And when he retired, it was, it was tough. It was really tough for him. It was tough for him to get to the point where he could actually retire, just mentally do it because of the fear. I don't, I don't know if he really ever came to terms with that. At least he didn't voice it to me, even though we spoke about it repeatedly over the years. But when he retired, it was, it was really difficult for him. And unfortunately, you know, just a few years into retirement, he ended up passing away. But uh, he really never found his footing. He really never found, you know, what retirement really could be and have his needs met, have his hierarchy of needs met, you know, outside of work and in retirement. On the other hand, I think of uh, another client, Jane. And for Jane, when she retired, um, it was also tough. And for neither John nor Jane, was it was it about the money? They both completely planned very well. Lived below their means, had pensions, had investments. None of this was about the money. You know, the base of their pyramid, as far as the safety needs and what have you, were really, really well provided for. It was all the other stuff, all the other you know human stuff, that is why I'm eliciting and, and sharing these stories. But for Jane, when she retired, um, she actually ended up going back to work uh, she was a little bit bored and they said, Hey, you know, you can retire, but if you come back, you know, we'll be happy to hire you on as a contractor. And, you know, you don't have to work full time. You can work, you know, maybe 20, 30 hours a week. We'll figure it out. And, uh, and she did. So she retired for a while, didn't work for about six months, was bored. Um, at least that's what she said she was. Um, she also seemed to have, you know, some issues around, her finances and, and come to find it through a lot of discussion, uh, and self-introspection over the years. And even with the help of, you know, a psychologist, quite frankly, which just helped really explore some of this, it was really that a lot of her needs, particularly around, you know, her love and belongingness needs, the friendships that she had at work, you know, some of the esteem needs that she was having met at work when she retired, she just hadn't found another way to go ahead and directly meet those needs. And sure, she was getting together for lunches or breakfast with some of her work friends. But one of the things that she remarked to me after a while was, well, you know, I was really up to the conversations for a while, but you know, eventually things kind of evolved and they were on new projects or people had come or gone. And I was a little bit more removed from the relevance of these conversations. And, and she felt that and, and she perceived that, you know, her work friends felt that too. And so the relationships were waning a bit. And then after she tried to retire again, um, you know, she tried to get involved in some charities and, and more so with her church and, and it was satisfying to a certain degree, but, um, at the same time, it just didn't exactly the role that she was playing in these organizations really wasn't meeting those needs either. So it took a while. I would say it probably took a few years before she really kind of found her her new rhythm if you will and found ways to have those needs met and and maybe reset expectations a little bit. And I think a big part of it was her husband retiring too. He ended up working a little bit longer than she did, um but they did some things together once they both retired. You know, they moved somewhere where you know they have more family and things like that. So some of those needs were naturally met just by being in closer proximity to family. Um, But the point being is she found it, but it took a while to get there. And some of her, what she perceived as problems were really, I would say symptoms. Um, She thought she had a financial problem early on and uh, she wasn't getting a paycheck. So um, even though she had plenty of money, even though she had a pension it was really being manifest as a financial problem because I think it was on the surface. It was easier to say, like, hey, it, it's that. You know, it's not that my needs aren't being met. It's not that I'm a sociable person. And now a big part of my needs that were being met, you know, through work, from socializing, from my work friends, from my, having my esteem needs met, you know, that was – if you go back to Freud, that was kind of like the iceberg and the part of the iceberg that was below the water. She was just kind of focusing on the top part about, you know, Hey, I, I think I have this pain. I have this problem. And it was really much deeper than that. So, you know, all of this matters a great deal. And, and some of this isn't, um, some people know who they are, what they want to do. But, um, other times, I mean, it takes a while to wrestle with this. You know, you have to figure out, you know, who am I really, you know, what am I, What am I retiring to? What are some of the things I really enjoy about work that I need to find and replicate outside of work? You know, what's going to be my purpose? What's going to be my passion? You know, all those things. I mean, there's so much to it. But uh, Walter, let me involve you here a little bit. But um, I mean, you're only 35. But when you think of maybe you look at your parents, and I can't remember if your parents are still working. um, And I'm sure they're listeners of the show, so uh, speak freely. But I don't know, when you think about your own family or or maybe even somebody close to you that you've seen retire, have you ever noticed anybody's kind of gone through this transition where maybe it was a little bit bumpy, not because of the money, but more of this other softer side of retirement?
1: Definitely, because um, my parents are about two years away from retirement. And so they're starting to have these conversations and thinking about what they want to do and you know, dad is fully leaning into, um, you know, a full change in life. I mean, he's, he's really looking forward to it. The day can't come fast enough. And um, he's looking forward to living in a completely different state and kind of a completely different lifestyle. But he has plans for ha- absolutely how he's going to occupy his time. He has uh, deep interest in, um, you know, getting involved in hospice and where they move to, probably getting involved in the church as much as he possibly can. You know, he's just got, got plans for what he wants to do, and he can always fall back on being an artist. Um, he, he paints in his spare time and is a pretty good artist by all accounts, and uh, at least in my opinion. And so you know, he's just got so many different things that he can fill his time with. And my mom is a little bit different in that she is, she can't wait to get to retirement and do nothing for a little while. And that can be a plan, too, because she's just worked so hard her whole life. And, and you know, you talk about that hierarchy of needs. She's very much someone who identifies a lot of self-worth and that self-actualization in the work category. Like, it's very pervasive in all those different layers and levels of her life. And so I think I don't think she's going to have a problem figuring out what to do, but I think she'll have a little bit harder time than dad just trying to, you know, transition into retirement and a, a little bit more of the, You know, not the financial element of it, but just the sort of, all right, what should I do now with all my time to continually, uh, you know, work on filling these needs and finding, you know, space and time to do that? But I think she has seen a few other family members that are a few years ahead of her go through that struggle. Um, Someone in particular I'm thinking about had a really hard time. Adjusting and in fact, still participates even a couple of years after retirement in like conference calls and things with his old work, um, just to like still feel connected and still talk to the same people at work. And that's where all the friendships were. And then, you know, when those things got taken away, I know it was a really hard adjustment period, yeah. I
0: mean, and that's a little bit your parents are a little bit unique. Uh, if I just think of kind of some of the gender. Traits. I don't want to say stereotypes, but you know, women tend to be more sociable than men in general. Um, I think it's like seventy percent of Facebook users are women. Um, you know, maybe as is, is part of a point um, or evidence to that. But you know, when men disengage from the workforce, uh, having that social network is often a little bit more difficult, just like I shared for the story uh, of John. Um, Women tend to be a little bit more natural at that and have those relationships built. Um, So I think those are some things we all need to be mindful about. Um, Men stereotypically often will have more of their needs met through work, tend to have a little bit more of an ego there as well. Um, I mean that in a negative way, just, um, you know, just more of the, uh, I guess, scientific way, I suppose. But, um, I guess more if I simplify this, uh, and I've talked about this before, but uh, one of the questions that we'll often ask is, uh, and this is more of one of those introspective questions that maybe you can utilize for yourself when you're thinking about this, but if we're sitting here having a conversation three years from today, and you're looking back on those three years, what has to happen for you to be happy with your progress? Three years from today, looking back, what has to happen for you to be happy with your progress? And we'll ask those questions, and a lot of times when people come in to meet with a financial advisor, you know they think we're just asking about financial and and I'm not and anytime I'm asked that question, which you know I do like a quarterly reflection going over it, the financial parts are for me are always i don't want to say last, but um, they're certainly not first, and um, it's just because of the same thing that I started this whole conversation with you know we have to figure out you know who we are, who we really want to be and become what kind of ideal life that we have and then try to garner and, and align our resources to support that, you know, spend our time there, you know, that's probably the most valuable resource that we have. Um, but if you're, you know, if you say something's important, but you spend very little time there maybe like John, you know, did with his family when he was, when he was working all those years, you know, in his mind, he's you know, working for his family and providing for his family, doing something noble and honorable, something that was necessary and important but he really didn't spend a lot of his time there. Um, so you have to have all of this aligned. But if you can ask that question and just really spend some time reflecting on it, then ask it again You know, some months down the road. I think it'll help you think about this in a way that is more than about the money and maybe will help you get better aligned to whoever you are and aligning your resources, financial, time, and otherwise, to who you are and who you want to be and become you know, whatever your ideal life is. And I imagine that continues to evolve for different people. And it doesn't have to be completely profound. You know, you don't have to change the world or anything. But, you know, it's really just if you can just be happier, if you can get a little bit more out of life, if you can have a little bit better relationships, do some of the things that you really want and are excited about, you know, that's great. Um, But if you aren't doing that, it's kind of like the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. You know, if (laughs) if you don't really... uh, know which way you want to go, any, any road will do. So again, I think you need to be intentional about these things intentional about life. Um, you know, be self-aware, ask these questions, and then, you know, just with yourself and with your spouse. And, you know, and if you're working with an advisor and, you know, sharing some of those outcomes with them as well, just to make sure that everything is well aligned, you know, that you do have maybe an accountability partner to, hold you accountable to, you know, are you spending your time where you really say you want to spend your time? You know those sorts of things. I mean, it's to me it's it's financial life planning again, it's not just the number crunching aspect of it, but it it really is more kind of the holistic person in the in the process and just getting a little bit more out of life when it's done right.
1: Seems like as I visualize the hierarchy of needs, a lot of financial planning or retirement planning or whatever umbrella you want to put it under, Works to cover the bottom two elements, you know, those safety needs and the physiological needs. But probably very little planning expands beyond that into the other three levels. But it sounds like your process, Kevin, you've sort of designed it so that when somebody comes in, to talk to you or a team member and go through your planning process that you want to make sure you explore those other three levels, not that you've based your plan exactly off of the hierarchy of needs, but all the questions you ask, um, the things that you poke and prod around, the fact that you take it beyond just the finances, uh, you're really looking to make sure that you know these things are thought through thoroughly. And kind of helping cover all of these different things from the physiological needs all the way up through some of the self-actualization conversations. Because to you, that spells the, the biggest success for somebody to go through a, through a planning process to make sure all those levels are covered.
0: You're completely right about the traditional you know, role of the financial planner. I think as it's maybe was constructed and perceived even to today, it, it is more the base of the pyramid type of stuff. And, and that's, that's important. It's very important. It's also table stakes. It's all these other things that are, you know, just really important to be able to actively listen, to be able to ask open-ended questions just to help people help under, understand them and help them get a little bit more out of life. I mean, we just had a meeting yesterday where very humble live below their means kind of people. Um, but I was just asking him, uh, the, the husband about, you know, what, what he's been doing and, he's really into really into camping and he customizes his own cars and you know, he's, he's taking this trip with his son out West for, you know, three to four weeks. And, um, you know, he talked about and then he just remarked how he really wanted a sprinter van and, and I'm like, well, you, you can do it. I mean, there's no doubt you can do it, but we, we basically just explored that a little bit more and I nudged him and, and nudged him and then his wife nudged him and, um, Let's just say that we have it penciled into the plan now, but it's not about the sprinter van. You know it's that's just part of the means so he can do these other things that are really important to him. you know, having you know his knees met having a stronger bond with the son, you know, even having a, the kind of accommodations that his wife would feel comfortable camping in because right now, the way that he does it, she doesn't want to do it that way, but she's open to uh, doing it in a much better well-constructed Sprinter van where, where they are at the same place for a week rather than kind of bolting from place to place every day or two days. So it's it's little things like that, but those little things can make big, massive changes in just somebody's life and happiness. And to me, that's financial planning done right. I mean, those are the meetings that I just come away at the end, just grinning because I know, you know, he's, it's not like he's doing it now, but it's very likely that they're going to do some things that maybe they didn't perceive that they could do before and they're going to get more out of life and they're going to spend more money and they're going to pay us less because they're going to be taken out of our account and we are both going to be very happy for it and and i couldn't be happier to to be part of that conversation.
1: And you'll get to bond over camping now based on <laughs> yes. your recent experience.
0: We, we did. Yeah. His eyes lit up when I told him uh, that I, I started camping too. So, and uh, it's good to have some people you can learn from, whether it's a financial advisor, learning about finances and, and financial planning and investments or camping and how to be safe and, and, uh, <laughs> not get hurt. <laughs> Definitely.
1: And how to have a good time. That's uh, that's so important through so many different levels of this hierarchy of needs. And um, uh, hopefully this has been helpful to somebody to kind of take a step back, absorb the financial planning world from a, a higher view and looking at all these different elements and needs that we have in life and how good planning helps accomplish all of these things, especially once we lose that work component in our lives and that big shift. uh, We need to be thinking about some of these things. So if you've got any questions for Kevin, you can certainly reach out anytime. 855-TWD-PLAN puts you in touch with the team. That's 855-TWD-PLAN. If you want to go through the full planning process, a great way to start is to go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team, you can begin these kinds of conversations. Again, that's truewealthdesign.com and we'll link to that and put the contact info for Kevin in the description or the show notes section of today's show. We'll also link to that new retirementality book that Kevin mentioned in case you want to pick up a copy of that on uh, Amazon or something like that. Or, Kevin, I guess people can also give you a call if uh, they're interested. Maybe when they come in, you might have a few of those copies laying around when somebody comes in to meet with you as well. So either way, maybe somebody can get their hands on that book for a little bit more on this topic. And uh, hopefully that helps somebody out today. Kevin, appreciate the help and the guidance. Glad you made it back safely from camping so you could share these stories and uh, this insight with us. And we'll look forward to another good conversation with you next time.
0: Thank you, Walter.
1: All right. Have a good one. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter.